0: Well, holy cow, we're at episode five of the Halftime Happy Hour. All right, first of all, Happy New Year, you beautiful humans. I have not forgotten about this podcast. Don't you worry. I've just been stockpiling stories from the end of 2017 and prepping for one big one. So bear with me because we're in for a long one. Um, And I'm not one for making big resolutions after the clock strikes midnight. Rather, I like to pick a few things to focus on in the coming year. This year, I've decided to focus my happiness, which means back to blogging, podcasting, and walking my lovely dog, even when it's negative degrees outside, um, every single day. Making time for the things that make me happy are incredibly important to me and my mental health. I've also decided to really take my fitness and nutrition up a notch and really dedicate myself to Orange Theory and Isogenics, both of which I've been doing for a few months now and the results are already incredible and I cannot wait to see where they take me from here. I've also exhausted Netflix, so books it is. And lastly, learning how to budget. I'm too old to be, sc- too, old to be s- too scared to look at my bank account, so here's to saving. With that being said, let's get back to the things that bring me happiness, and since there, since there seems to be even more negativity in the news now than ever, let the positivity begin. With so many amazing stories to share, these will be quick, so listen up, friends, and welcome back to the Halftime Happy Hour. All right, we're going to start off a segment um, with some girl power. The world needs a little girl power every now and then. Um, we have Diane Nukiri, a native of the African nation of Burundi. Um, she escaped social norms and viol- violence, with, all with the help of running. As a child, Diane loved to run, but in the village where she grew up, running and sports in general was not the court- cultural norm. Girls are expected to help run the house and later to become a wife and mother. However... Diane holds the national records for 5K, 10K, half marathon, and marathon, but still isn't seen as a national hero to the people that she grew up with. She was constantly criticized for breaking the status quo and running around in her swimsuit-like uniform she wears for racing. But Diane knew that running was going to be her escape and her ticket to see the world outside of her small, critical village and away from devastating 15-year civil war between the Hutus and the Tutsis. In 2000, at the age of 15, Burundi sent her to the Olympics for the 5,000-meter run. In 2001, she competed at the Francophone Francophone, uh, Games in Ottawa, Canada. After, she called her cousin who lived nearby. Without any money, without a plan in sight, and with zero English, the only 16-years-old Diane didn't want to return to Burundi. So she didn't. She fought homesickness, academic challenges, and language barriers for three years but she kept running. She eventually caught the eye of University of Iowa track and field coach Lane Anderson. She competed for the Hawkeyes, and Anderson is still her coach today. She has returned to her family a few times since 2009, always bringing gifts for her family, and has learned to appreciate the Burundian culture. And in return, her family has learned to accept her individuality. Today, she encourages young girls to break out of the cycle and be true to themselves. She reminds us that it's hard work and sacrifice that got her where she is today, and that has nothing to do with luck. She makes me proud to be a Hawkeye. Stick it to the naysayers, Diane. Give them hell. All right, since 2018, is basically the year of the woman already. Why not add in some more girl power? So next we have U.S. Olympic fencer Ibtihaj Mohammed. She was the first Muslim American woman to compete on the U.S. team wearing a hijab in the 2016 Summer Olympics. Recently, she was honored by Mattel, maker of Barbie, with her own figurine. Mohammed said, I'm proud to know that little girls everywhere can now play with a Barbie who choose to wear a hijab. What's so empowering about this story is that Mattel finally got something right. No girl looks like Barbie, so why keep making the plastic doll so unrealistic? More girls out there wear hijabs, or have darker skin tone, or have thicker thighs. Hey Mattel, good good for you for finally realizing this. Also, hey Mattel, congratulations for being true to yourself and proud to wear your hijab. Oh, and that bronze medal Team USA captured on the Team Sabre, making her the first female Muslim American athlete to win a medal for the USA. That is something wicked cool. All right, this story blows my freaking mind. I'm going to call this one a heated what with what segment. All right, this story is inspiring, crazy inspiring. Remember how I talked about the USC long snapper a long time ago named Jake Olson, who is blind? This story is the same level of inspiration. But this time, it's not USC, it's UCF, University of Central Florida. It's been in the news a lot lately. With a perfect season, the team, and the fandom as well, are pretty convinced it wasn't Alabama who won the national championship. Rather, it was them. Anyway, that's an entirely different story, hilarious if you have the time to look it up. But back to the real story. UCF has a lineman with one hand. You heard me right. One hand. When Shaquem Griffin and twin brother Shaquille were in the womb, the doctors noticed a part of the amniotic membrane that had wrapped around Shaquem's left wrist. If the doctors removed the wrap, there was fear it could end up wrapped around a neck instead. Their mother and father decided not to take the risk and discussed the possibility of raising a son with a malformed or missing hand. Their conclusion? Treat him no differently. They were never going to let him consider his condition a hindrance. With that mindset his whole life, Shaquem never let anything stop him. For the first four years of his life, any bump to his left hand brought severe pain. And after one night of pure agony, his mother brought him into the doctor, and when he woke up with an amputated hand, he didn't feel pain or that something was missing. What he felt was relief. Finally, he felt relief. Growing up, Shaquem became very comfortable with his one hand. Doing everything his twin brother did, and sometimes better, his football drills were no exception. Starting at 10, their dad, Terry, taught both twins the same drills and worked on the same skills. If that meant Shaquem took a few more balls to the face, it meant he took a few more balls to the face. In high school, Terry built contraptions that allowed Shaquem to lift weights just like his teammates. By the time it came to look for colleges, the twins recalled a promise they had made to each other in middle school. They were going to stick together. South Florida was one of the first to offer Shaquille a spot, but not Shaquem. At the USF camp, the twins arrived and Shaquille sat out, allowing his brother to show his talent. USF was so impressed they offered him a scholarship on the spot. But because they didn't respect him enough to look past his one hand and offer the same time as his his brother, the twins declined the offer. It was at UCF where then head coach George Leary told them he wouldn't give one scholarship without the other. That's exactly what the twins wanted to hear. But after three seasons of being buried in a depth chart and getting frustrated, Shaquem was really nervous that he made a wrong decision. But alas, a new coaching staff arrived and took, and took one look at Shaquem and knew they had something special. They noticed his speed, not, he wasn't, not that he was missing a hand. One of the coaches swears he didn't even notice he had one less hand than everybody else. There had to be a starting spot for him somewhere. With a new defensive setup, the strong side linebacker was made for Shaquille, and Shaquille thrived at cornerback. And if playing with one hand wasn't challenging enough, leading up to the 2016 game against Houston, Shaquille had fallen and broken his right hand. He arrived in Houston wearing a cast. Worried he wouldn't play, he cut the cast off himself, wearing a soft cast that restricted his finger movement. But he didn't just play. He recorded 14 tackles, recovered a fumble, and even picked off a pass. He honest to God played football that day with no hands. And it was after that game he stopped accepting any excuses from anyone. He said it's not a deformity unless you make it one. You're not disabled unless you say, I'm disabled. And after being named the 2016 ACC Defensive Player of the Year, he has high hopes of joining Shaquille in the NFL. This story rocks so much. There's so much adversity and naysayers that Shaquem had to overcome, and through it all, he didn't let it stop him from following his dreams and crushing the competition. All with one less hand than anybody else on the field. That is so inspiring. That is so awesome. I have so much respect, respect for people that don't take excuses. I could learn a lot from them. I always find a way to come up with excuses. But it's stories like this that remind me that you can do anything as long as you work hard at it. So thank you, Like Keep on keeping on, man. All right, now we have teammates on and off the field. And this is a little bit more of a sentimental story. Um, it's less about an, an individual, and it's more about the idea of a team. So in 2005, with Dustin Holcomb returning from Iraq, he battled with depression on and off. When he found out that a man in his unit committed suicide, it really hit home for him. After taking a friend's advice and attending a veteran's group at Unbreakable Performance Center, a training facility that focuses on MMA training, Holcomb attended, and as he was sitting there, he told everyone in the group what had happened, and he cried. He's been coming back there ever since because this group got him. They understood his pain. They'd all been there. The same founders of the Unbreakable Performance Center, Fox News NFL insider Jay Glazer and former Green Beret Nate Boyer created the MVP program emerging vets and players. This program brings in former NFL players and military veterans together for a workout session, segueing into an informal heart-to-heart. This program has 60-plus men and women who seek solace in the gym, and NFL grades as well, as celebrities like Demi Lovato and Sylvester Stallone have all come to talk to the group. So why bring NFL players and vets together? To bond over a common experience, what it's like to have a life-changing, transformative experience and then to have to transition back into everyday life. The mutual respect and admiration is what motivates the group. What people forget is that when you take off your jersey for the last time, you don't have a team anymore. That's very similar to veterans returning to society. Glazer was inspired to start this gym after talking to the wife of a former NFL player. After she shared with him that he had been feeling depressed, aimless, and embarrassed to leave the house. Like the military, once you leave a team, quote-unquote, you're all of a sudden alone and feel different. The goal of MVP is to give these men and women a team again, someone to have their back at all times. With former NFL players and veterans both at heightened risks of, of developing mental health issues like CTE in the NFL and PTSD in the military, the heart-to-heart chats are equally as important as the physical workouts. It's a form of peer-on-peer counseling rather than in, in, office, in an office talking to a stranger, regaling, minute details that don't matter, and doesn't matter to you or the person that's listening. Therapy is so much different when it's around people that understand what you've been through. MVP has given hope to so many people struggling to find their value again in society. I'm so incredibly thankful a place like this exists because I couldn't imagine how alone these former players and vets felt at one time. But MVP has offered them a family, a home, a place where they are part of something bigger than themselves. As a quote from Nate Boyer, Nate Boyer <clears throat> the Green Beret, both war fighters and football players need something to fight for once the uniform comes off and your service to country or time on the field is over. Without real purpose for the man on your right and left, it can it can be easy to feel lost. Again, this is such an incredible program, such an incredible idea, and I, I think oftentimes we overlook the similarities that former NFL players or former professional athletes have um, with military veterans. I mean, clearly they're different in what they do every day, but when it's over, it's over, and and finding a home for yourself is is tough. So thank you to MVP and, and to Nate Boyer and Jake Laser. This is such an incredible program, and if you have any interest in learning more about it, please check them out. Um, continuing on with our NFL theme, one of my favorite things that they do is the hashtag #MyCleatsMyCause movement. I seriously get choked up about this one every single time I read something about it. This campaign took place at the beginning of December, and it was an opportunity for NFL players to show off more than just their talent on the field. Players across the country picked their own organization to represent via their custom-designed cleats. After the game, the players auctioned off their cleats to raise money for this for selected organization or fundraiser. There were hundreds of organizations recognized, from local children's hospitals where the kids actually designed the cleats for some of the Buffalo Bills, to cleats supporting autism awareness, suicide awareness, Wounded Warrior Project. The list was endless and absolutely inspiring. I couldn't wait to see all the cleats and hear all the stories associated with them. It's a, such a cool idea from the NFL that draws attention to the most deserving organizations and foundations all over the world. If you haven't seen some of these cleats, Google them it'll be a daymaker and make your heart feel all warm and fuzzy. And this is this story is basically what inspired this podcast. Is that sports is so much more than just winning and losing. It's a platform that gives players and coaches and teams opportunity to to show the world that there are other people out there fighting just as hard as they are on the on the field. Doesn't matter at the end of the day, who wins and loses, it's it's about the opportunities that are given and and about all the inspiration that these players provide to little kids, adults, anyone going through any kind of adversity. If these guys can do it and they can get out there and they can battle on the gridiron, we can battle in our everyday lives too. You just kind of have to find your outlet and, and find what you're passionate about. And that's what I love is when I see players giving back to the community or to kids or to different groups it's merging the people with the sport and i think that's why sports have such a big fandom is because people do realize it's a lot deeper than just the final score okay and again with the nfl uh these two just played each other on the field but it's their stories off the field that matter more to me okay so in the nfl playoff games the eagles and the falcons just played each other um and i talked about eagles defensive end chris long Earlier this year, um, he donated his entire salary for educational equality over one hundred one. I'm sorry, over one million dollars in three cities that he has spent his ten year career playing in: Philadelphia, Boston, and St. Louis. Earlier this year, like I said, I talked about him on the podcast because he donated his first six game checks to his hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia, funding scholarships to provide middle school and high school kids the opportunity to go to school. Charlottesville, as we remember, was the site of a KKK riot that resulted in the death of a protester. Long knew that he wanted to promote diversity, equality, and educational opportunity and show that Charlottesville is not a place where dis- discrimination is welcome. So not only did he donate his six first game checks to Charlottesville in wake of what was a horrific, horrific racial, racially driven horror that happened, He then donated his entire salary for educational equality. That is insane. What a guy. He really recognizes the the impact that he can have. And he recognizes that although he makes all this money, he doesn't necessarily need it all for himself. And that's, I mean, that goes above and beyond is the coolest thing. So like I said, the Eagles play the Falcons. Um, The Atlanta Falcons, they have a former Iowa player on them, Go Hawks. We have former Iowa Gray Adrian Claiborne. And a few of his teammates decided that this year, they weren't going to get gifts for each other. Instead, they decided to pool their money and take 30 kids Christmas shopping. Maybe I love this story so much because of the Iowa connection, but it's part of what makes it such a great story. You always love to see the guys go on and do big things, but for them to turn around and do something like this for their local kids, melts my heart, man. The Christmas spirit was bright down in Atlanta. Thank you to all the Falcons who were part of this neat event. To turn around and give directly back to your community and to the kids to look up to, I mean, not only are you building a permanent fandom, because if someone took me Christmas shopping, if an NFL player took me Christmas shopping, I would be their biggest fan for the rest of my life, but you're instilling qualities in them that, yes, you can go on and be an NFL player, and yes, you can go on and make all this money, but you have to still be down to earth, and you have to still be able to give back and care about the people that support you and helped you when you were in a low place. So the Eagles and the Falcons, despite the Eagles going on and beating the Falcons, this is still such a cool, a cool way to look at the NFL is that it's, like, again, it's half of it is on the field, but the other half is off the field, and that matters just as much. All right, this story might be my favorite one. Um, I'm going to call it Equipment Check. When you Google the name David Seville, the first articles include the words Heart of Clemson Football, Inspirational Leader. And toughest guy on the team. No, David isn't the quarterback. Rather, David Seville is the Clemson's football equipment manager. And he has been for seven years. Seville, born with Down syndrome, has never let his diagnosis get in the way of his dreams. 27-year-old David is a fixture and a friend of the program. He doesn't miss a single day. He's never missed a practice. He's never late. He takes incredible pride in his job. And says one of his most important jobs is keeping Coach Dabo Sweeney in line. Clemson offers this incredible program called the Clemson Life Program. Learning is for everyone. And it's here where Seville and Coach Sweeney had their fateful encounter. When Seville turned to Sweeney and told him he was going to work for him one day. Sweeney couldn't say no. During his time as an assistant at Alabama, Sweeney first saw the positivity a kid like David could bring to his team. Former Alabama head coach Gene Stallings had a son, John Mark, with Down syndrome. Whom Gene took incredible pride in and made part of Alabama's football program. And Sweeney always made time to visit with Johnny. Sweeney had a front row seat for the love Coach Stallings had for his son and the impact they both had on each other. And now, a decade after John Mark's death, the connection between Sweeney and David is unmistakable to that of Stallings and his son. It's David's constant spread of love and positivity that continue to inspire Sweeney. Because Coach Sweeney doesn't care where you come from, what your background is, or what your beliefs are. He knows that love conquers all. It's stories like this that make me want to quit my job and travel the country to find more stories like this. David Seville has no idea how impactful he is and lives by the quote of his man, Coach Sweeney. The only disability in life is a bad attitude. I have the utmost respect for Dabo and the Tigers. and David, you're a light in this world. and Thank you, Coach, for letting it shine. It's... I mean, honestly, my eyes are a little teary right now because it's just so it's moving and to know how again widespread and real the sports world is i know it seems superficial at times and i know it seems like anyone all everyone ever cares about is winning a national championship or you know beating the rival but when you look at people like david who put all of their time love passion into this sport he thinks he's doing clemson football a favor He thinks he's working for Clemson football, but like Clemson football is getting so much more out of him than he thinks that he's getting from them. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's, it's magical. And and like I said before, Dabo Sweeney knows that, that love conquers all and it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your, what your obstacles in life are. As long as you have love and passion and desire and work ethic, you will go places in life. A disability isn't going to stop you you just have to have the drive. Um, and I'm so thankful that Dabo recognizes this in David, and and David is comes to work every day with a smile and hugs his teammates and high-fives them and, and gives everyone that little boost of love and positivity that they all need at the end of the day. All right, and to wrap it up, I have just a funny little story. Uh, I saw this last week. <clears throat> it's three University of Texas senior walk-ons um, who wanted to close their collegiate football chapter with a bang. So... Instead of, you know, like, giving a senior speech, writing letters, doing something semi-normal, they reenacted the famous Nickelback song, Photograph. But this time, the video was just dramatic scenes of UT football locker rooms, network rooms, weight rooms, and, of course, the field. It was such a funny little spoof, and honestly, they killed it. I, when I first saw the video, I thought it was professionally done, so whoever videotaped it, you've got a future in cinematography. I would definitely take a minute to Google this one if I was you. You won't regret it. It is, it'll bring you so much joy. Honestly, all of these stories will bring you joy. I hope that's what the podcast does is is make you think about the fact that life can sometimes seem pretty dark um, with the news and the negativity in the news and, and everywhere you turn, there's something that's wrong or something that's scary, but you just have to remember to find the light. And I... I'm trying to help by providing these stories of positivity and hope and encouragement. But sometimes you just need to look around, find the positive. Like today on my way home, I was pulled up to a stoplight and the guy in front of me noticed that I was trying to turn right. I was behind him. So he made the effort to scoot over just enough where I could squeeze by him on the backside and make the right turn on a red light honestly, it's just things like that that left me smiling. I was like, wow, he was paying attention and knew that, oh, even it might be an inconvenience to him to like kind of finagle a little bit further ahead, but he helped me out. He had no idea who he was. He had no idea where I was trying to get to, but it's things like that, that left me with a smile on my face and the encouragement to go on and do something nice for someone else. So I hope you enjoy this halftime happy hour now. Go do something nice for someone.